Good evening, hushlings, and welcome. I present your preceptors to the underbelly of the void, the whispers of conjecture, and the known of the unknown. Thus begins the conclave of the Hush Hush Society. I uh, went from being a healthy skeptic to, I guess, what a lot of people would call an experiencer uh, overnight, but it, it, it came without any warning and was completely unexpected. In fact, I, I had just pretty all but assumed that I would never see anything when I was out there because every time I was out there, it was just this peaceful pastoral landscape. And I thought, uh, you know, those experiences must be reserved for other people, uh, imagined or real. So well, can you describe it? Is it a craft? Is it big, small, uh, or can you not go into details? No, I, I'll go into a little detail for you. I think we, we cover a lot of this in the investigative series and go into more detail, but it was without question a craft and was, was right there. It wasn't just a little light in the sky or a blip. It was literally right in front of us hovering over the mesa and moved in just split-second speed. And was probably estimated around 40, 50 feet long, gray, silverish, and uh, was what I think a, a lot of people would describe as kind of your typical UFO or disc-like object. And uh, it's it was it was shocking. Greetings, hushlings! Welcome back to Hushtober and the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour where we journey into the world of conspiratorial mysteries and dark truths. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And as always, we're joined by our buckaroo, Slick Frank Sanders. Yo, what is up? Mike, Dave, Slick Frank Sanders here. What's up? Living more of that wonderful dream. Oh, the sweet bliss. <laughs> Just tied my hiking boots up. I'm ready to do this. There you go. You got to get ready. You know, make sure that there's no snake in your boot. <laughs> you need the inserts too. Everyone's like, why are they talking about boots? For this week's debriefing, number 34, we walk down the dirt roads of Utah into Skinwalker Ranch. It's been recognized as the most scientifically studied paranormal hotspot on the planet. We'll be breaking down all the bizarre phenomena of the ranch, including UAP sightings, cattle mutilations, and the Skinwalkers themselves stick around for the breakdown of Skinwalker Ranch. But before we take a walk through the pasture, make sure to follow us on all social medias. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And let us not forget, the official website of all you hushlings and the Hush Hush Society, hushhushsociety.com. Where you can find all of our audio, our debriefings, cryptid chronicles, declassified discussions, blogs, news, and drop a review. You want the drip? Well, here's the drip. At hushhushsociety.com, you yourself, the hushling, can purchase the drippiest of the drip on the globe. Hush Hush Apparel. We got tons of stuff on sale, and we got plenty of new designs on the way. Stay tuned for the drip. You can also hit us up at contact at hushhushsociety.com. If you have any topics you'd like to see us cover or any comments you'd like to make about our past debriefings, hit us up at our email, contact at hushhushsociety.com. And just to highlight that, Dave and Frank, 
we got someone that hit us up on our email, one of our hushlings. And normally we don't really read stuff that our hushlings send us, but maybe we should start. This will be a first. I, I read it. I too read it. Oh. No, I mean like in, in a debriefing. Oh, oh, yeah, oh. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, maybe I should s- s- clarify that. Sorry. We don't forget about you, Hushley. <laughs> yeah, we do not ignore you and not read it. No, we we don't usually read your messages on our debriefings, but we got a letter sent to us by Renee. Thanks, Renee. It says, hi, guys. I love your podcast, but sometimes I wish you guys would dive even deeper into your subject matter. Some of your material really blows my mind. I'm a huge fan of Bigfoot and cryptids in general, but Bigfoot is my favorite. Oh yeah, and aliens. I'm a believer. Just wanted to say good job, y'all. Keep up the good work. I've just finished binge listening to the podcast. I originally heard all of y'all on True Crime Podcast that highlights some of the best podcasts around. Again, good job, Renee. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about this message that we got. So she mentions how we, she wishes that we would dive even deeper into certain subjects. We try to keep things within a certain time frame. Uh, it is the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. There are a lot of topics that we could dive a whole lot deeper into, but it would take so much longer and Honestly, people's uh, attention spans are not that long, so we try to keep it within the hour or a little under, and sometimes we have to, if, if a topic is really, really big, then we'll split it up into two episodes, but that is the reason that we don't super, super dive into research. Also, to be completely honest, I'm a daddy. We all have jobs that we work many, many hours. We try to do the best that we can with our research and the best that we can to get these debriefings out to you and at least give you the good amount of meat of these stories and of these conspiracies and of these cryptids that we can get out within that hour time frame. That was very well put. I could think of a couple of topics that we easily could have done you know, 10, even 20 hours of content on, but it just doesn't fit the uh, the narrative of the show nor the personal lives. There's there's stuff that we've done in our first season that we can honestly do a couple more episodes on a certain, certain few of those topics. Yeah, and of course, there's going to be the stuff that we revisit and go even deeper into. Yeah, we, we will do a lot of revisits, yeah. Revisiting is something we started talking about. Expect more. I think simulation theory was also one of those debriefings that we probably could have spent hours and hours on. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. again, we try to keep it in a time frame that is consumable so that we're not rambling, but <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that we're, we're not just going on and on about stuff and coming out with three or four hour debriefings. A lot of other shows will do that and that's fine with them and that's, that's cool. Yeah, I just wanted to touch on that before we got into this whole thing. Very nice. Hushlings, before we crack into Skinwalker Ranch as a whole, we need to understand where it gets the Skinwalker portion of its name. Skinwalkers are sinister creatures that derive from many North American indigenous mythologies, but they're particularly common in the Navajo mythology. These beasts the Navajo have spoken of for centuries are known for their ability to transform from human form to animal form, like a coyote, for example, like an anamorph. <laughs> throwback. Yep. It's said that skinwalker animals tend to look slightly off from the real one. They'll often have a disproportionate body feature or glowing red eyes. 
That's a <laughs> that's that's very that's wide. I just got an image in my head of some like really dopey wolf riding yeah. up on you with like a slag eye. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys know this because I mean I haven't seen it on like social medias and stuff, but I am one of those people in their twenties that still uses iFunny. And for some reason the topic of skinwalkers is like booming on iFunny right now. It's like this whole meme. I don't know why. It's because we live amongst them. Yeah, I, I just figured I'd mention that. Members of the Ute tribe consider the Uinta Basin region of Utah, where the 512-acre ranch is located, to be a forbidden, toxic place, where, quote, unearthly creatures prey upon mortals. Like Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> Rollback. <laughs> it's the second debriefing in a row we mentioned rollbacks. And Walmart. <laughs> really? Yeah, we said it in Salem. (laughs) Yeah. Since the 1950s, there have been claims and sightings of numerous bizarre events and strange activity. For centuries, owners of the ranch, along with locals, have reported that the ranch is a place of mysterious crop circles, animal mutilations, and alien abductions. It's just a, a hot pot of different paranormal things going on there. Sounds like a fun place. Throughout the years, there have only been a few publicly known owners of the ranch, but each is notable in their own way, and they all share in the unworldly experiences. First owners were Kenneth and Edith Myers in 1934, and they owned the ranch for a decade. They sold it in 1944, and from 1944 to 1994, it was pretty much owned by the government. A good 50-year period there, where the government just took the land back? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Sounds reasonable. It may have been the government. I'd say the government had a hand in it, but it could have been back. Maybe it was unclaimed land. It was abandoned for a long time. The yeah. Myers did not leave it to anyone. No. They're just like, eh, we're gone. Nobody picked it up. I am head out. All the way until the 90s. So in 1994 to 1996, short stay. Terry and Gwen Sherman owned the ranch. They were in and out and said, scoot, we're gone. And in 1996, Robert Bigelow purchased the ranch and sold it in 2016 to its present owner, Brennan Fugel. Robert Bigelow is a big name. If you don't know who Robert Bigelow is, he is an American businessman. Uh, most notably, he is the owner of Budget Hotels, if you know the brand name. So if you ever stay in a budget hotel, thanks, Robert Bigelow. He owns, like, <laughs> aerospace stuff, too, right? Like, Bigelow. Yeah, but aerospace. let's stick to the hotel. It's all down below. <laughs> <laughs> He's a hotel guy. Throughout the years on Skinwalker Ranch, there was a lot of odd activity. Starting off with UFO activity. It's not just the Skinwalkers that make Skinwalker Ranch and surrounding land so strange. Stories of strange lights in the sky have been recorded for centuries. First by the native tribes in the area in folklore and rock art, then by European settlers. In 1776, for example, Franciscan missionary Silvestri Velez de Escalante described seeing fiery lights in the sky above his campfire. What a name. It's a good name. (laughs) It's a strong name. Yeah. Very strong name. (laughs) It's also very hard to say. (laughs) (laughs) In the 1950s, UFO sightings in the area really picked up. 
people all around the Unitaw Basin were reporting glowing orbs darting around the sky or even emerging out of bodies of water in the region. Some sightings were a bit more extraordinary than just an orb. Some reported seeing metallic craft even up to the size of a football field. Jesus, that is large. Yeah. Big old craft. Dude, like, you can't rub your eyes with that one. You're looking at it. <laughs> you rub your eyes and it actually just gets bigger. Yes. I like that people have encountered these orbs or these ships or craft or whatever going into bodies of water. That goes back to something that we talked about when we would talk about Antarctic bases and Hollow Earth and whatnot, where mm-hmm. a lot of these craft were seen submerging themselves into water even up to date with some of these navy videos that they've been showing where craft have been diving into the water that's a good place to hide well yeah i mean what what did they say like only 10 percent of our ocean is explored we know more about the surface of the moon i think than we do about the bottom of the oceans i wonder what kind of ridiculous things live in the depths of the seas and it, it is possible maybe there is some sort of submerged city or something or some sort of base where these ufos are going to for refuge it's probably more than one imagine that just the whole network it's interesting seeing that all the way back in the 1950s though i can't think of like many accounts or stories back then where people are reporting these crafts going in and out of the water i mean it's pretty popular today because like we have video of it there's solid evidence but most of the stuff back in the early to mid 1900s most of it is just like hearsay and people's stories that's still what this is but you typically don't hear about the submersion of the crafts in water like back then you don't hear about it too too much i mean there's some accounts though i think we talked about in the area 51 episode i think the men in black episode as well i think we had mentioned a uso well after about 20 years of consistent uap sightings we're going to be politically correct there i guess (laughs) Right, You're not going to have somebody slap us on the wrist for saying it's not UFO anymore. I'll get UFO tattooed on my face. I really don't care. (laughs) Well, after about 20 years of consistent UAP sightings in the Unita Basin, cattle mutilations become common occurrences by the 1970s. A rather bizarre experience occurred in 1964 to a man named Paul Peterson, a businessman who claimed to have encountered a flying saucer while driving home not too far from the ranch itself. And while he was driving, he spotted a disc-shaped craft rather low in the air, low enough to where he could make out humanoid figures in the saucer. They were just waving at him in the window. <laughs> like, they were giving him, like, the horn, like you're driving by a truck. You know, like. <laughs> and he said they were highlighted by a green light emanating from the inside. So they were waving inside of a rave. Yeah, they, they were just partying it up in the saucer. <laughs> That reminds me of the Betty and Barney Hill incident, the Zeta Reticuli incident, where Betty was saying that she saw figures inside of the UFO. Think about that for a second. Why are UFOs lined in plexiglass windows so that they can... (laughs) Like, you would think maybe they would have cameras or some sort of other viewing device outside of it where they don't need windows, but it's like they're, they're making Chrysler UFOs. If you look at the Bob Lazar experience, just to bring that to light for a second, I recall him saying something about while he was working on a saucer, or maybe it was somebody else in the project, they got inside of one of these vehicles, 
And when they got inside, all of the surfaces were smooth and whatnot. There weren't any jagged corners, but I don't know if they pressed a button or if they did something. I couldn't tell you. But what they said was the entire inside became transparent and you could see everything from outside as if, like you said, they had cameras or something on the outsides that would project onto the inside. So that that whole idea of the big, fat, chunky plexiglass windshield doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Mm. But maybe they were different extraterrestrials that preferred the windshield maybe some were just a little bit closer to us if you really think about it our progression with space flight our capsules and orbiters all have windows that's true that is very true and we have talked about the progression of evolution think of our technology if we survive the next million years probably not going to have windows a couple thousand we might still have windows on starships or whatever vessels we're using <laughs> you're just standing by the window bye guys you think that will put fluorescent green led strips inside of them oh for sure that is the trend. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> RGB. RG- no, it's got to be RGB lighting, yeah. <laughs> Getting back to Paul, Paul claims that the aliens he encountered telepathically communicated with him, asking if they could, quote, <laughs> beam him up into the craft. Oh, <laughs> uh, those exact words. Hey, Paul, you mind if we beam you up? Get beamed up, son. <laughs> Peterson answered in his head by thinking about his wife and children and how he couldn't leave them behind. Paul was surprised to see the craft dart into the mountains shortly after his internal answer. Paul, you're making this a rough one, man. Tell me how you really feel. You got got the raving aliens inside their windowed UFO, and now you're saying that the aliens communicated telepathically with you and use the words quote beam you up <laughs> well think about this though think about like this, scotty though. in star trek but wait wait, uh, wait but remember star trek came out and first aired in 1966 and this happened in 1964 oh god so how does he have the beam me up first there might be something to it wow that's, that's pretty interesting. impressive dave that's pretty impressive that is an impressive piece of information david I just had to say, I just had to put that out there. Nerd alert. (laughs) I wonder also, did Star Trek coin that? Is that an original by Star Trek or was that used previously in other sci-fi flicks? You would think I would know, but. (laughs) We were told that most of the Star Trek writing was from fans in the early Mm. days and mid nineties and eighties as well. So twist ending. Paul Peterson is a ghostwriter for Star Trek. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he was one of the first. Him and uh, Gene Roddenberry are just hanging out, and he's having a cup of coffee with them. And he's like, hey, you know, so this thing happened. These aliens said, beam me up. And he's like, got it. <laughs> it's in the show. So that's a banger. Another notable Unitaw Basin local, Joseph Hicks, has involved himself heavily in the phenomena surrounding the area. Mr. Hicks has been following Utah's extraterrestrial scene way back since 1951, after an incident where he and his students had seen a UFO floating over their heads. In the following decades, Hicks became a fountain of knowledge on all things Skinwalker. He had also cataloged hundreds of UFO reports from the area. A lot of UFOs. Hell yeah. yeah. When he was interviewed by reporter George Knapp in 2002, Hicks estimated that at least half of the Unita Basin's 50,000 residents had seen alien occurrences in the sky. 
Knapp is most notably known for reporting, as we said, Bob Lazar's story in the late 90s. 50,000 people. That's a lot of sightings. Half of their 50,000, so 25,000 people in the area. At least. Hmm. Allegedly. Well, if you think about what Ben Hansen said when we had him on about Hudson Valley being like a hotspot for UFOs, if Skinwalker Ranch is kind of along the same lines, maybe even along ley lines or some sort of portal spot, then it would make sense that you would see this UFO traffic coming in and out of this place, especially in a small town area, very condensed population of 50,000 people within a small area. If they're all looking at the skies and, and there's not, I'm sure there's not a whole lot of light pollution out there, they're able to see these things. So it, it could make sense if it is one of these portal hotspots that we were talking about. Ironically, Skinwalker Ranch is very similar, almost close to West Virginia and that whole area of Appalachia when it comes to latitude. Mm. I don't know the exact latitude lines of both places of Point Pleasant, West Virginia or Skinwalker Ranch area of Utah, but they're very similar. A couple degrees, I would say. To go back to something that Joseph Hicks had claimed, he said something about a UFO encounter with his students, and that kind of reminds me of the Zimbabwe incident in the 1990s, where all those school children and a couple of their teachers had all drawn the same thing, had seen and encountered UFOs and alien beings in broad daylight. They all had the same story. They all. Yeah, that's an interesting story, and it's it's one that not a lot of people know about, but that Zimbabwe incident, if you're not familiar with it, there's a blog up on HushHushSociety.com. Go there, read about it, but it is a very interesting encounter, and all the kids had to draw a picture afterwards of what they saw. They all drew almost exactly the same thing and the same yeah. figures. That's a crazy encounter that we covered in our blog. Maybe we'll do an episode on that. We'll do some UFO sightings big sighting episodes or something yeah that would be cool hell yeah we haven't done some alien stuff in a while well we're doing it now hushlings we will return after these brief messages greetings hushlings i'm declassified dave and i'm mystery mike and as always we're joined by our pal slick frank sanders slick frank sanders here join us as we bring hushtober to an end with a creepy one the hush hush society will explore three cases of murder with a twist the killers all claim to be possessed by an evil force. We dip into the madness with a little paranormal, some demonic entities, and a bit of true crime. Investigate with us Monday, November 1st for Debriefing 35, Demonic Possession Driven Murders. Welcome back to the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. Well, let's talk about some of the previous owners. Like we said, the Shermans. One of the most chilling tales of Skinwalker Ranch comes from Terry and Gwen Sherman. They hope to realize their dreams of starting a cattle ranch. Cue inspiring music. Breeding top quality animals while raising their two children in the scenic surroundings. At first, the Shermans were curious about why such a beautiful ranch had sat empty for seven years. They got their answer shortly after moving in. The oddities began piling up one by one. They found heavy iron stakes with metal chains at each end of the house, as though someone had chained up large animals to guard the doors. 
Wow, that is wild. Padlocks were bolted onto many of the doors on the inside and out, as if the previous residents were concerned for their safety. None of it made any sense to the new ranch owners, but they shrugged it off without giving it much thought. The day that they moved their belongings into the small ranch cabin, they received their first dose of reality. A large wolf approached them as they stood outside with Terry's father, Ed. It was larger than any wolf the couple had ever seen, weighing as much as 200 pounds. Both Terry and his father were over six feet tall, and the wolf was at least chest height to both of them. Hmm. It's a big-ass wolf. Sounds like a dire wolf. Yeah, it does. Which would be nothing short of normal in the paranormal <laughs> scale of Skinwalker Ranch. Nothing about the wolf seemed hostile, though. It acted like a lost pet. It was from Twilight. <laughs> Desperate for attention. It wore no shirt. <laughs> it glistened. Yeah. It wore no shirt and had sweet bicep tattoos. It's doused in glitter. <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, it's Team Edward. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I... I I don't know That's Twilight. Vampire, bro. I don't know Twilight. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't fucking know. They were initially scared of the animal, obviously, due to its size. Their worries disappeared quickly as the massive animal began brushing up against the two men. Big note for me. And it smelled strongly of a wet dog, I would imagine. Although, what would you do in that situation? You can't run. Of a huge dire... Yeah, exactly. You can't run. You're not going to outrun it. So... You, I don't know, play dead? Uh, <laughs> just stand there and let it, you know, just pet it? <laughs> no, I wouldn't pet it, but I, I totally get the whole freezing up and not doing anything about it. Again, what else are you going to do? Go inside? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No. You're not making it to the door if that thing's angry. It's going to tear you limb All right, limb. pup, I'm going <laughs> to go inside now. <laughs> well, that's enough for me, champ. I'm out. It just wants a bone, and that bone just so happens to be your whole entire femur. <laughs> Yep. Only a few moments later, the massive wolf darted to the cattle pen and attempted to snatch a calf through the fence. Terry immediately unloaded two rounds from his 357 Magnum into the creature with no result. Terry, you're a badass. You know he pulled that shit out the holster, did the whole, like, whip around the finger, pop, pop. <laughs> Cowboy shit. Gunslinger yeah. Terry. Well, Terry had no option but to grab his shotgun and unload two rounds of buckshot into the creature's chest. Terry's loaded up. Oh, he's yeah. got a 357. He's got the shotgun. Damn, Terry. Chill out. Surely, it had to be a fatal blow. Flesh flew, blood poured, but the wolf wouldn't die. It stared at Terry while slowly backing away. When they attempted to follow it, they were amazed to find that the track suddenly ended. It was as though the wolf vanished into thin air. The family began noticing other odd occurrences around the ranch, including strange balls of light that seemed to hover in the sky. And along with the orbs, they saw strange waves and patches of light in the sky, and voices that seemed to come from directly above their heads. I've read some things about that, where people have even seen things like 10 feet off the ground near them, things talking to them. Yeah, disembodied voices are scary. The waves of light, I remember we talked about the people on the Titanic seeing those yes. strange yeah. waves of light. The Aurora Borealis that brought in all the icebergs and sunk the ship and <laughs> yeah. Wilhelm never all, made it to Antarctica. They were all mesmerized. Before we go on, I just had a thought. Hmm. So you have this huge wolf. Let's just call it a dire wolf. All right. You have this huge wolf 
And it sort of portrays these human traits where it wants some sort of compassion. It rubs up against the owners, looks people in the eye, and it's, it's I don't know, it's acting a certain way. And I don't know, maybe it's the way that the story is portrayed and how it was told. But the wolf is showing these kind of, not human characteristics, but some sort of way that a wild dire wolf would not necessarily act around humans. And then you think about the chains and the padlocks and stuff that were inside the house. And as we're talking about skinwalkers and how the animal may not look exactly like the animal and how it's a changeling of a human, is it possible that that dire wolf was some sort of skinwalker? Maybe a pet skinwalker yeah. or maybe a family member who had turned into a skinwalker and was almost... Uh, domesticated that's an interesting theory but what do, do they just like keep it chained up while it's still in well while it goes back to human form like it still just has to be chained up outside of the house maybe not in human form but maybe at night they did encounter the wolf at night so maybe almost like a changeling thing like a werewolf mm. kind of setup mm. where during the day, they're a human, but at night, the skinwalker thing takes over and they transmute into a wolf or into a different animal. Who knows? But maybe it's possible that in this whole situation, which is why it was being nice to Terry, which is why it was rubbing up against them and looking for that human interaction, that maybe it was a pet of the previous owner. You know, and I use the term pet loosely, but... You know that feeling when you really have to run to the bathroom and you just know, so you just kind of bolt, shut the door and, you know, pop yourself down. And shoot um, yourself. Yeah. yeah. I, I'd <laughs> imagine it to be something along those lines if this person was a skinwalker, like he could feel it coming on and he just has to stop whatever he's doing and like sprint outside, chain himself up and then do his, you know, morph stuff. Just kind of chill there till the morning. I mean, that's kind of along the, the transformation trope. Where I'm obviously thinking of like werewolf movies, but I would imagine, oh God, here it comes. you know, maybe it's maybe it's the yeah, you you, you start to grow the long the long fingernails and you get a little hairy around the ears, whatever it may be, you feel it coming on. So especially if it was the previous owner's family member or, like I said, a domesticated skinwalker, really. The skinwalker would know that it's happening and it's about to happen and maybe they don't want to hurt people or obviously there's a lot of what ifs in that, but it's a thought road to go down. Absolutely. It gets a little more bananas here. They started seeing faces in the windows. I'm out when I see that, you know, <laughs> that's it. Which turned into apparitions standing at the foot of their beds. That's horrifying. Tickling your toes. Yeah. Mm, you need to snip your pinky toe. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I'm just going to put this big toe in my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Members of the family began having terrifying nightmares and objects began disappearing only to reappear somewhere else. Well, of course they're having terrifying nightmares. There's faces in the window. <laughs> <laughs> they're really just potheads and forgot where they put their pipe. Yeah, most likely. I swear I left that on the table. Had to be a ghost. I was, I was like barely high when that happened. Those apparitions were actually just like folded stacks of laundry on the <laughs> on the rocking chair in the corner of the room. They began smelling a strong musky scent that couldn't be explained. They also began finding their cattle dead in the fields, mutilated beyond belief. 
Some of their genital areas mutilated, while others had their eyes completely removed as if done surgically. Cattle began disappearing at an alarming rate. I wonder if that strong musky scent was something of the likes of, like, sulfur. Because you get a lot of that during, like, alleged demonic hauntings and whatnot. People reporting smelling that sulfury smell. Yeah, yeah. Musky scents are also associated with UFO sightings as well. Really? What is it, of the third kind? Yeah. When you actually see a being? Mm Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things with abductions, and that is one of the most interesting ones that I've always thought of, is the way that the person who encounters the being has their senses altered. I was listening to, shout out Greg Carlwood, I was listening to an old episode of Higher Side Chats, and they were talking about how certain animals may transmute into aliens, or vice versa, where aliens are hiding inside the bodies of animals, mainly deer and owls. Mm. They always describe some sort of maybe a sweet smell or some some rancid smells sometimes. It's an attack on the senses, really, with the whole abduction and encountering aliens. I don't know if it's some sort of defense mechanism that beings would put up or whatever it may be. I actually learned about that through the book Communion. Whitley Stryber, I believe in that book, it was said he saw a deer outside of the window and an owl outside of the window on multiple occasions. Same thing with that movie. It's it's not like a true story. Encounters of the fourth kind, the owls outside of the window. That always gave me like the heebie-jeebies. Yeah, I never looked at owls the same after that movie. I don't know. It freaked me out. I have a friend, they had an encounter years ago, over a decade ago, where they were in their house, lost time, saw a deer in their front yard, and that wasn't like uncommon, uncommon to see a deer, but just randomly, and had the smell, like a smell of like compost and rotting. It was a very strange account and has had multiple things happen since. Pretty boilerplate when you're talking about UFO encounters. Yeah, which means there has to be some sort of fact behind that. Whether it's a skewed fact or not, it is something based in fact. Back to my boy Terry. Oh, I got the feels for Terry. My boy Terry lost 20% of his herd in two years, which is huge compared to the normal 1% rate that most ranchers in the area face. The final straw came one night when their dogs began chasing one of the strange orbs of light. Terry encouraged the dogs to chase it. Go on, get get it! You know, sort of like that. (laughs) And they quickly disappeared into the darkness. Only moments later, he heard the undeniable sounds of animals yelping. He followed the sound, but couldn't find any trace of the animals. The next morning, they discovered three scorched circles in the ground with gooey lumps of liquefied flesh in the center. Something had killed the dogs, and enough was enough. That's not the only account that that's, I think, happened to somebody where they've had animals be liquefied that's horrible yeah that's traumatic think about a human encountering an alien or some sort of extraterrestrial or extra-dimensional being it's said that obviously their brain can't handle what they're seeing you can't compute that which brings up again the alien deer owl correlation. Maybe our brains are just making up for something that we can't understand. If you look at it from 
an animal standpoint, which has even more of a limited understanding of what they're seeing versus us, maybe their brains and their bodies are not able to take it. But it's almost like a spontaneous combustion thing. Or they're using crazy weaponry. That is also possible. I'm trying to think that they're maybe nice. After telling their story to a journalist at a Salt Lake City newspaper, the Shermans were approached by an unusual buyer. In 1996, hotel entrepreneur and founder of Bigelow Aerospace, Robert Big Buck Bigelow, paid the Shermans $200,000 for their ranch and turned it into a research facility to study the paranormal events, founding NIDS, the National Institute for Discovery Science. It's said that it was around this time of purchase that Bigelow signed a contract with the DoD to provide research and evidence on UFOs. This contract was said to be worth around $22 million. That's some money. Also, they should have called it National Academy for Discovery Science. It would have been NADS. Uh, Missed opportunities. Drop the ball. <laughs> $22 million, though. He bought, he sold, bought it for two hundred k and got $22 million in a contract. Hand over fist, man. They don't call him Big Buck Bigelow for nothing. <laughs> Do they call him Big Buck Bigelow, though? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Bigelow, having been intrigued with the UAP phenomenon for over 20 years, also signed a contract with MUFON, if you don't know, the Mutual UFO Network, purchasing their entire database for the low, low price of $672,000. That's all it takes. Over a period of time, Robert hired psychologists, engineers, physicists, and biologists to aid in his research. And he locked down the ranch, hiring former military security guards to patrol the grounds. He also established a science advisory board and brought in state-of-the-art equipment. In January of 1997, one year after purchasing the estate, Robert began to see in full swing what was happening at the ranch. During a snowstorm with temperatures of negative 30 degrees, three calves were found with odd wounds on their ears and eyes. Two of the calves had circular spots cut out of their eyelids while the third calf's ears had been shredded as if cut with scissors. After another calf mutilation occurred in broad daylight a month later, the researchers were more perplexed than ever. The 85-pound calf was mangled beyond belief. One of its legs had been yanked clean off at the knee and placed neatly a couple feet away from the corpse. All of the calf's internal organs were missing, and the body was completely drained of blood. There was no blood specks near the body, on the body, there just wasn't any, as if it were like vaporized or something. Jeez. One of the ears of the calf had been cut clean off with precision. That's the most compelling mutilation story out of all of them, when there's no mm. blood like it's not like an animal got that, because if there was an animal that you would have It'd be a mess. You know Yeah, it'd be a mess. Yeah. Is that along the lines of a chupacabra type of situation? Well, yeah, you, you have that sort of thing happening. I think with those, with the chupacabra sightings or reportings, there is blood everywhere, though. The body is drained, but there is blood. Yeah, and chupacabras probably can't use scalpels with surgeon hand precision to cut off calf ears. You don't know about mm -hmm. that. I don't. You're right. I don't. I really don't. It is very messed up to think about these circular cuts to the eyelids of baby calves. Yeah, because animals can't do that. 
for a minute, let's think that it's a human, okay? Or it's something earthly, but we'll, we'll say human with the precision. What kind of person goes in and uses a hole punch on baby calves' eyelids? Satanic cultists, if anybody. Uh, I don't know. Little calf pepperoni, little calf pepperoni. <laughs> <laughs> it still doesn't explain, like, there's still be, if you, even if you cut an eyelid, there'd still be blood. The precision makes it otherworldly. Do you think the eyelids were shut when they found the calf? So, like, the eyelid is shut, but you can still see the pupil through the eyelid, through the little hole that was cut out? Like it's wearing a Zorro mask or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Somebody was trying to make that calf a superhero. <laughs> wow. It's fucked up. Super <laughs> bloodless is. cow. Just a disclaimer, the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour does not condone animal hatred or torture or any of that stuff. We love little animals. We also donate to PETA on a regular basis. Yeah. I put a lot of meat inside my pitas. <laughs> <laughs> well, a few months later in March of 1997, biochemist Colm Kelleher said he saw a large humanoid figure perched on a tree as if it was observing the research team. The large creature that lay motionless, almost casually in the tree, Kelleher said. The only indication of the beast's presence was the penetrating yellow light of the unblinking eyes as they stared fixedly back into the light. Jesus. Fuck that, man. What a wide range of things that are happening on this ranch. That would consider me to see, like, the true form of a skinwalker, if you're going to see anything. If it's a paranormal thing, mm. then it would be a dark apparition with maybe just its eyes visible. Mm -hmm. Like when you see a predator or something at night. Or it's a mothman. Mm. Or it's Robert Bigelow. Or it's Robert Bigelow, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's Jeff Bezos. It's, it's Robert Bigelow watching his workers. Well, yeah, that, that's how I imagine it. <laughs> Bezos up on that loft with the railing, watching all of his slaves work diligently in the facilities. <laughs> and Bigelow's just perched up in this tree like, I'm paying you a lot of money. You better not be on iPhone-y. <laughs> in the end... Bigelow and his team admitted they had difficulty gathering solid evidence. I don't see how that was difficult. Yeah. The main explanation for the lack of proof is electromagnetic interference, which kills camera batteries and causes microphone malfunctions. Bigelow sold the ranch to a company called Adamantium Real Estate Holdings in 2016 for a whopping $4.5 million. This dude nice. made mad money by owning that ranch. Hell yeah. How is that not enough solid evidence that all your shit goes dead? Yeah, and cattle mutilations. Not enough solid evidence for public disclosure, maybe? Mm. Yeah, you gotta remember he was working with the DOD on this whole thing. That's right, that's right. His hands were tied. Oh, sorry guys, we didn't get anything. Wink, wink. Yeah, <laughs> If Bigelow and his team had found some sort of evidence of UFOs or paranormal activity or any number of things, cryptids, whatever, he definitely turned that information over to the DOD for $22 million contract. You have to. If he had tried to hide yeah. anything from them, he risked losing that. Or if he came out publicly and said, this is what we found, that contract would be gone. 
So is it worth more to him to keep it shut, give all his evidence to the DOD and say, hey, I never found anything, or become a whistleblower of his own land? Yeah. He's not going to lose out on He's a businessman. He's not going to lose out on $22 million. So I don't know how much I believe his story of, we didn't find any solid evidence. Yeah. That's bullshit. <laughs> well, it goes without saying that there were ties between Bigelow and the DOD. And he did say in an article, the head of the UFO office at the Pentagon reported he worked with the DOD and CIA personnel, as well as Bigelow Aerospace. It also seems undeniable that the sale of MUFON's database resulted in the DOD having full access to that data as well. And that's a lot of data. That's a lot of eyewitness accounts. That's a lot of investigations. If you look at the entire MUFON network, mm -hmm. that's a cache of knowledge and data that they can't pass up. And they got a deal on it. <laughs> Less than a million dollars. Skinwalker Ranch is currently owned by Brandon Fugel. He has continued the deep dive research of the ranch that Robert Bigelow had kickstarted. Today, the ranch's scientific project is run out of the command center, which is a high-tech hub designed by plasma physicist Eric Bard. The property is wired with surveillance systems set up to catch any strange activity. Yeah, they made a show out of it on the History Channel, right? Yeah. Well, they, they probably figured, okay, well, Robert Bigelow made his money. We should probably try to milk this, too. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Fogel's a businessman, too, so... That also brings into question the things that Bigelow and his team had said about not coming up with physical evidence because of electromagnetic interference. So how are you filming an entire fucking show on this ranch with all this probably hours of footage? If you're running into in electromagnetic interference, there's no way that we can catch anything on film. They're using, like, 1960s massive reels and Well, shit. then again, if you go back and look at the show, there's not that much weight to what they actually catch. It's mostly just interviews, and did they actually interview them on property? There's a bunch of things that happen to those guys on the show, like medical things, really weird stuff. But just like a lot of shows, it doesn't show much. It's just a lot of talking. I just like to mention that on that show, they penned up, I don't know if it was a llama or an alpaca, but it was one of the two. They put it in a pen for like three days and literally just filmed it, waiting for it to get mutilated. What is this, Jurassic Park? Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what their research consisted of. They were just waiting for T-Rex to come? Some dude also <laughs> crashed a very, very expensive drone, and I want to say they blamed it on that electromagnetic interference. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that thing was like twenty, thirty thousand dollars, and the guy had an aneurysm. Yeah, I saw that episode. That was funny. Uh, Sorry, so Bill has been drinking a lot. He took the drone up. Uh, he just wanted to take it for a little drive. He attached a hot dog to it. Oh, stop! <laughs> <laughs> wanted to see if he could catch that dire wolf out there. Crash it into a tree. Forty-three million dollars later, here we are. Are you saying that because <laughs> I tied a hot dog to a bottle rocket? Could be. <laughs> <laughs> well, the new team is dialed in with newer technology for their research. I guess better than an aerospace company for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a few examples of what they're working with. Infrasonic recording, which measures sound below human hearing. Dog whistles. Seismic geophones, a device that converts ground movement into voltage, which are recorded constantly. Is that just a seismograph, right? Yeah. Essentially. Not so many words. Ion counters, a handheld meter designed to measure ion density, the number of ions per cubic centimeter in the air. 
FLIR camera systems, as we all know, which is a thermographic camera that senses infrared radiation, magnetic sensors for transient frequencies, which is an active magnetic field sensor. And then they got the good old handy-dandy, reliable, software-definable radios. These pinpoint <laughs> parts of radio frequency spectrums for analysis. And then you know they can't get into this research without the electromagnetic spike detectors, which allow for sensing, lighting, and other major energy discharges. They also gather location and distance from that information that they pull from the detectors. And it goes without saying, you can't be into the UFO game if you don't have FLIR camera systems. I mean, come on, who are you? Truth. In the last few years, numerous people on the site have become sick with mysterious illnesses and injuries. Whatever it is that's happening on this famed Utah property remains completely unexplained by science. Allegedly. 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 Mm. Bigelow. Yeah, big, big money. Big, 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 big buck, buck. Bigelow. All right, so we've had a lot of stuff to take in with this. We have had a lot of stories. We've had a lot of different owners. Let's get into our final thoughts because I'm very interested to hear what you boys have to say about this. Declassified Dave, give me the rundown. I think that this property definitely has something paranormal going on. If science can't explain it, there is tons of evidence to point in the direction that something's going on. One, you have apparitions, you have UFO sightings, your electronic handheld devices like cell phones and cameras and whatnot die, drones die, anything electromagnetic dies, which happens in paranormal things and in alien encounters and, and whatnot. So personally for me, I think that whatever's going on on this property or in this whole basin in Northeastern Utah could be a portal. You know, we haven't talked too much about Appalachia yet, other than just Point Pleasant in West Virginia and the TNT area, which also has kind of this trifecta of paranormal things going on. I think Skinwalker Ranch is definitely some type of gateway. Maybe Skinwalkers is just a general term for whatever is coming through, whether it be an orb, a craft, a dire wolf, a apparition that gives you a funny face in a glass window. There's something definitely going on if our current technology still has trouble and on top of it, the government has anything to do with it and they've so heavily researched it themselves with projects that we can't even find in our research. Hmm. There's a lot going on and probably going to be a while until we figure out what's actually going on. Normally, I would look at someone telling a story as hearsay, maybe because there's no evidence behind it. If you're talking about somebody saying that they saw a ghost or missing cattle or anything like that, as we had previously discussed, especially when it comes to cattle or any kind of farm animal, that a lot of these people maybe even kill their own animals to collect insurance or for some human reasoning, they're doing these things. And also hearing these stories, you know, I would be a little skeptical. But what brings me to the other side of this is Bigelow, really. Robert Bigelow and his whole research team and working with the DOD, that brings me a little shred of evidence. And then coming forward after years of researching the land and looking into things and him saying, well, we didn't come up with anything. That right there is, I think, one of the most damning pieces of evidence that there is something going on at Skinwalker Ranch, whether it be, as Dave said, portals or UFOs or extra-dimensional beings, skinwalkers in general. That remains to be seen, but I truly believe that there is something going on there, and it 
I think it's big. I think it's bigger than a lot of other things that we've covered. I think it's bigger than a lot of the stories that were told because I think about the nefariousness of the DoD being involved in this. Why are they so worried about this piece of land? Why are they so interested in this piece of land enough to give a $22 million contract to a businessman who is obsessed with the paranormal and UFOs. If there was nothing to it, if there was no merit to any of it, then the DoD would have never involved themselves and Robert Bigelow would be dropping millions of dollars into it himself and they would have never been involved. So I think that's really the biggest piece of evidence that there is something going on, is the involvement of the DoD and the Bigelow research team. I would give it less thought if there were no weird things that happen to animals like mutilations and piles of goop mm, yeah the piles yeah. of goop are interesting but also was there evidence of that of the piles of goop was there evidence where were there pictures taken was there was there tissue samples that were saved what physical evidence of that happened again that goes back to was it just a story told by a person who may or may not have been on the ranch was it a game of telephone oh well they found the dogs dead oh the dogs were burned oh the the dogs were liquefied that's how that yeah. that story kind of goes but there is something going on with skinwalker ranch i'm not sure what it is i'm not gonna pretend to know but i will say that i do think it is a lot bigger than it's led on to be and with that, we will get into the final thoughts of Slick Frog Sanders. Frog's final thought. Cut holes out of your eyelids for me. <laughs> no, but for real, I think that there's a lot of merit to the Skinwalker Ranch phenomenon. It goes all the way back to the native Ute tribes of the area. They were told hundreds of years ago to stay away from this place that it was nefarious that it was evil that there's bad stuff going on there and that's depicted up until today through rock drawings and whatnot that you can still see i would like to say that i feel for terry sherman and his family this was their dream ranch and they were forced out of it in the span of two years because of all of the sick crazy stuff that was happening uh you know shout out terry but when it's all said and done, I definitely do think that there's something going on here. You're not going to have these researching Mongols dumping millions and millions of dollars into this plot of land if there wasn't anything going on. And the fact that Bigelow says, you know, oh, the interferences caused a lack of evidence, that's, that's a crock of shit in my opinion. It was definitely covered up, especially with the DoD having so much play in the investigation like you really solidified, Mike. I too think that that's the biggest point that kind of gives this any validity. So who, who knows what's actually going on here? I like the idea that it's some sort of portal, some sort of gateway area where, where you're going to have this this large broadband mixture of activity, whether it be paranormal or UAP or anything of the interdimensional sort. It's kind of like saying the same thing with Epstein. Like, oh, we don't have the footage. Yeah. Which makes it more <laughs> mysterious. So in the end, rest in peace the Cavs, rest in peace Terry's dream. Bigelow made more big bucks off of this, and that is due to the fact that there absolutely is something going on here. I think the money talks. Cash is king. Cash is king. Money talks. Well, Hushlings, what do you think? 
Did we miss any of the important talking points? Was there stories of Skinwalker Ranch that we did not cover? Did we fail to save the baby cows? Reach out to us. You can hit us up at contact at hushhushsociety.com. Tune in for Debriefing 35, Demonic Possession Driven Murders. That episode will be streaming everywhere Monday, November 1st. We're continuing with the spookies. Spoop, It'll be spoop. ending our Hushtober. Thank you again for joining the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour. I'm Declassified Dave. And I'm Mystery Mike. And I'm Slick Frog Sanders. Until our next debriefing, remember, the best kept secrets are hidden in plain sight.